Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. My guest today, Jeff Hyman, started five companies, raised $55 million from venture capital investors, and recruited over 3,000 people. He graduated from Wharton and Kellogg, but according to him, those don't mean a thing. What's valuable is that he's made every mistake in the book. Most of those mistakes came on the softer side of startups, leadership, recruiting, mastering the startup mindset. He's consulted hundreds of entrepreneurs along the way, and that's how he got the name The Startup Therapist. Well, welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. There are endless books, blogs, seminars, coaches, consultants, and experts on the A to Z of starting a business, which in real life never matches reality. So I know that you take a different approach from other startup experts. So let's let's dive in and first talk about what you have come to understand regarding the startup mindset. Well, Sherry, it's a fascinating exploration, and I appreciate the chance to be here to talk about it. There was a recent study that I found fascinating, and it was called Are Entrepreneurs Touched by Fire? And in this study, they, they interviewed hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, and they found something that was both fascinating and startling to me, which is that the vast majority of entrepreneurs, I believe it was 72%, self-reported some kind of mental health concern. They reported concerns about uh, stress and anxiety far above uh, average or uh, non-entrepreneurs. They reported alcoholism and addictions greater than non-entrepreneurs, ADHD and ADD and all, all these different kinds of related issues, manic depression. What the study couldn't conclude, though, is, is whether being an entrepreneur uh, causes these issues, because it is such an unusual, stressful career path, or whether the entrepreneurship field attracts people who have those situations anyway. Uh, you know, which is the chicken, which is the egg, we probably won't know. But I just think that's fascinating, and it and it forms the basis for a lot of the work that I do working with entrepreneurs. Well, that, that also gives me an excuse of why I like to drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Yeah. We're both kind of there. We've formed a lot of companies, and we deal with all kinds of individuals, and certainly those that come to us that say, hey, I want to start a business. I do a lot in the, the business planning world through the university and things like that. And one of the, you know, first questions that you typically want to discover with people is, are you really cut out to be an entrepreneur? And so, you know, that process, what are those traits? What are those characteristics? We can list them off, but you, because you're the startup therapist, I mean, you you obviously do some deep dives on people. And what do you think is kind of that, are you cut out to be an entrepreneur? The first thing, Sherry, that I start with when I meet an entrepreneur is to understand why they are building the business that they're building or even why they're considering pursuing it. 
uh, there's a lot of really crappy reasons that people become entrepreneurs. And, and I say that because, as you know, having built businesses, it's such a uh, stressful and anxious and difficult and long, arduous, potentially not financially fulfilling uh, journey that you got to do it for the right reason. And people that do it just for the money or the, uh, the fame or uh, to go public you know, or, or their goal is to raise money from venture capitalists. All these reasons are, are really pretty poor reasons. So I start there. Why are you doing this? Then I'm looking for uh, probably one of the, the biggest traits of successful entrepreneurs, which is resourcefulness and, and drive and tenacity. Because the entrepreneur path is one roadblock after another for years on end. And anything less than being incredibly resourceful to get around or get through obstacles and having the tenacity, sometimes uh, maybe even to a point of, of obsession, uh, is just, it's just non, it's, it's, it's non-optional. You just can't become a successful entrepreneur without it. You don't have to be a Harvard graduate. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be an incredible salesperson. There's so many things you don't have to have as characteristics. But I'm convinced that unless you have a good reason to pursue the business that you're pursuing and you have an incredible level of tenacity and persistence and resourcefulness, you're not going to make it. So that's where I typically start. Right. And and I've always said in order to start a company, you have to have been born with two guts because you're right. You know, it's some days you'd like to just yep. come to work and go, gosh, I just want to work today, and then who knows what's going to happen, right? And and part of a lot of what you work with, and we're going to talk about that really in the second segment, is the people part of the business, but just kind of drilling into the mindset of the entrepreneur. Yes, I'm passionate about something. Yes, I have a why around why I'm doing this business. And then it's really looking at the individual and do they have, like you said, it's not really all skill sets, but it's that that drive and that tenacity that, you know, when the obstacle shows up or that financial uh, disaster or whatever, that you're not balled up in the corner in the fetal position. Yep, totally, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. How fun. We, we both have amazing jobs because we do get to work with a unique set of individuals that really want to make a difference in the world. And whether that's punching out widgets a thousand at a time, starting a nonprofit, or just really caring about something within our planet, the environment or whatever. And so what are some of the, the cool, well, let's talk about your five businesses. Let's drill into you. You're the therapist. What were some of yeah. those businesses? I've always pursued things that I had a, a particular passion for. As I mentioned, I had a, a why in starting them. We don't need to go through all of them, mm -hmm. but the one I've been focused on uh, just prior to Startup Therapist is a business called Retrofit. Uh, it's an online, it's the leading online weight loss company. It's based in Chicago, but it's a national company. The website is retrofitme.com. But the, the passion that I brought to it was that I was overweight. I uh, had gained about a pound a year, which is about the national average, and entrepreneurs do tend to even be north of that. Uh, and it wasn't until I visited one of these destination health resorts that I realized uh, that not only 
was there a way to get your arms around the lifestyle change necessary to lose weight? But it was that it was actually very doable. Most of the information I had was incorrect. So I started uh, Retrofit. It was about five years ago almost, and uh, raised some venture capital money. Uh, we did some pilots, which were very successful, and now it's, like I said, the largest uh, pure play online weight loss company. Uh, so, so that was, you know, an example of one of the passions that I had. Um, it, it really uh, is incredibly fulfilling. I'm actually still chairman of the company to work on a business that that genuinely changes lives of people, um, and and it's just, you know, very very gratifying. Yeah, I would guess so, and and that's kind of interesting because you took. Uh a problem or a lifestyle and created an entire business out of it. And, you know, again, when we talk about what makes for great entrepreneurs, and and we're not talking about, for myself, I'm not talking about, you know, every company that's going to go out and raise venture capital and, and go public. It's, it's all those types of lifestyle businesses or whatever you see a need or you're passionate about, can you convert that into a profitable business? And so I imagine in the course of the work that you do out there, helping people really move from idea all the way potentially to venture capital, is, yes. is, isn't it fascinating what people come up with for business ideas? It's, it's incredible. I mean, uh, many of the entrepreneurs I work with are first-time entrepreneurs. Many of them are even under age 30. A couple are under age uh, 25. And some of their ideas are, are brilliant. I mean, just I, I'm, I'm so bullish and so optimistic when I meet these folks, uh, many of them far brighter than myself. What they haven't done, though, is they've never built a business, so they don't know how to go about it. They don't know necessarily how to... Uh, hire a team, how to craft a vision and turn it into a product, how to build a culture, how to raise capital. So the idea is part of it, and many of them are just wonderful, but unless you have the skill, tools, the experience to do it, uh, it's very possible you'll kind of spin your wheels. And spend a lot of money, time, energy, and resources, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I find absolutely fascinating, too, is that all the people that I don't do business with, so those that reach out and say, hey, I'm interested in starting a business, and, you know, we chat, and we talk about all these important things, and then at some point in that in that conversation, they think they can do it on their own. So talk briefly about the reality of I'm an entrepreneur, I'm on an island, as you say, it's lonely at the top, this mindset that people honestly believe that they can do it on their own. Everything. Well, it's not surprising, Sherry, because entrepreneurs by nature are optimists and driven and hopefully quick learners, and so it's probably not surprising that many of them feel, uh, I can figure this out. Uh, And many of them do. I mean, look, Steve Jobs did it, and... Jeff Bezos did it. He was a banker before. So many successful entrepreneurs. Mark Zuckerberg was a, a teenager. But you have to remember that these are the exceptions to the rule. There are 500,000 500, new businesses formed every month in the U.S., so 6 million a year. The vast majority of them fail and fail pretty quickly. And in my experience, the entrepreneurs who develop the skill sets and understand and learn 
how to turn their idea into a, a, a profitable business are going to be, you know, more successful. You can learn those things a lot of ways. Shows like this, books, uh, videos, uh, mentors, an advisory board, investors, uh, you know, my model, which is working with, you know, with entrepreneurs one-on-one. You could join groups of entrepreneurs. So there's many ways to learn these things. But entrepreneurs who try to really go it alone and just kind of bang their head against the wall are, are in for a tough time. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I want to talk about the people side of entrepreneurship. My guest, Great. Jeff Hyman, Great. startup therapist. We'll be right back. This is Tim Nelson, certified public accountant at Evans Nelson and Company CPAs. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she not only analyzes the financial transactions of a business, but she talks to business owners specifically about how to keep more money in their pocket. Sherry Hill is brilliant and creative. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. I'm Brian Cassidy, owner of Junk King Reno. We know you like a clean house and a clean yard, but sometimes things are too big, too heavy, or too much. That's when you should call us Junk King Reno. We're the professionals in the junk and rubbish removal business. Our team comes to your home to pick up what you need to dispose of. You don't need to gather and haul it to the curb. We recycle and donate everything possible before we visit a landfill. We're fully insured and bonded. Call Junk King Reno, 888-888-JUNK. Junk King Reno, locally owned and operated. The hardest part of building a successful startup is the thing nobody talks about, mastering the people part. My guest, Jeff Hyman, five-time entrepreneur, is startup therapist, a recognized expert in the people part of startups. He teaches entrepreneurs how to master recruiting, leadership, training, and communications. Well, welcome, Jeff. I'm glad you're here. Hey, Sherry. It's good to be back. Awesome. Well, one of my favorite books is a book called You're Not the Person I Hired. And so, as you know, that, you know, one of the toughest, uh, I can speak from personal experience. I mean, in 23 years of doing business, I've probably spent millions of dollars on the wrong employees. And so, you know, it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn, but a lot of it is in the hiring. So you talk about the fact that you can show me how to hire qualified rock stars in just days, only those A players who are cut out for startup life and can fit your unique culture. In fact, you wrote a free ebook, which I downloaded off your website, The Ultimate Guide to Hiring Startup Rock Stars, and you can get that at startuptherapist.com. So Jeff, I would love if you could please share some of your insights on how do we get those rock stars. Well, the good news, Sherry, is it's absolutely doable. It's, uh, the way I describe it is it's simple, but it's not easy, uh, but it's doable. Um, 
I referenced uh, on, on the website, on StartupTherapist.com, uh, an interesting study that Harvard professor Noah Wasserman did. He looked at thousands and thousands of startup failures to understand what caused the businesses to collapse. The number one issue, 65%, so two-thirds of the startups failed due to people problems. So more than bad ideas or funding or anything else, it had to do with people problems. And for the most part, if you can hire the right people at the right time uh, for your startup, you're you're highly likely to be uh, more successful. So uh, what what I work with uh, entrepreneurs is to do a few things. Um, first of all, it's to spend time on this. Now, entrepreneurs work 100 hours a week in many cases, so <laughs> the, the concept of spending more time on something is a bit onerous to them. Um, but what I, what I remind them and work with them, even if I have to carve out time out of their schedule, is that if you're not spending a significant amount of time on people, and that's recruiting, developing your culture, uh, et cetera, uh, you got a problem. Now, I don't care whether you have two summer interns and that's your employee base or whether you have a thousand people, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but as you said, it, Sherry, it does all start with recruiting, hiring slow and firing fast. Right. Well, and one of the things that, you know, I learned the hard way is, you know, when you're growing a business, all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I need someone to do X. And yet I don't have, I'm not an HR professional. I don't have the qualifications to write or even identify what is the true job description or what is that position I'm trying to fill. I just need a body. And I'm sure you see that right. a lot, right? All the, all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. And nothing could be worse than hiring a buddy. Um, when you make a, a mishire and you have to relieve that person, the total cost of that mistake and that experience is three times the annual salary. So if you've hired someone uh, and have to part ways, let's say that person is a $100,000 person, you're, you're talking more than a quarter million dollars out the window in rehiring costs and training costs and not to mention the bad will to do with customers. So it's really, uh, it's really a problem. And I work with entrepreneurs to kind of teach them how to reduce the risk of a bad hire. Look, you're always going to make mishires. It's, it's, it's not possible to have a 100% batting average. Most employees or most employers, most hiring managers have about a 50-50 batting average. You could literally flip a coin and avoid the whole process altogether and just literally flip a coin and pick someone. But you're going to be wrong half the time. And I, in my experience, you, you can get that up to about an 80% success rate, maybe slightly higher, but it does take uh, some time investment and knowing what to do. Right. Well, and also you mentioned, you know, fitting within your culture and a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that there is a culture that exists within their organization, whether they recognize it or not. And so matching those individuals and not just their skill sets, do they fit within the culture? So talk about that. Yeah. So culture fit is a crucial dimension. Uh, Finding people that belong in a startup is a crucial dimension. 
And finding someone that's a fit for the particular role is the third crucial dimension. And when you find an individual and hire them where they check all three boxes, they're a fit for your culture, they're a fit for startups in general, and they're a fit for the role, odds are they're going to be successful and do quite well. Um, you mentioned culture fit, which is the first one. Uh, and that starts with knowing what your culture is. A lot, a lot of entrepreneurs they work with, they really can't define their culture. You know, we work really hard. We're, we hire smart people, these platitudes. And that doesn't go far enough. You really need to understand how to describe the people in your company that, that do best and find more like them. Uh, there's an exercise in the ebook that you mentioned that kind of goes through how to do that. But it's, um, it's an important exercise, and, and many people don't do it. Uh, so what happens is they make the hire, and a startup being as unique and special as it is, you get a couple of wrong people in, and that they could just become a, a cancer that starts to eat away at the soul of the company. Right. Well, and, and a huge part of that is, you know, one of the first things that – you know, most people strive for in their business is to replace themselves, right? So I, I've gone from yeah. a solopreneur to wearing all the hats. Now I need to bring in that person that's going to help me build that division, that department, and the leadership side of having the right people, because the leaders then are now the ones that are responsible for for the rest of the team. And so talk about why that becomes such a critical hire and should be one of your rock stars. Right. So one of the bigger issues that I see is startups that that kind of hire people with this logic. They say, we need someone who's experienced in this industry. So let's go find someone from a big company who's worked in this industry before, and they're going to be successful because they know the industry inside and out, and they'll bring a whole bunch of customers with them, and P.S., it'll give us some extra credibility, some kind of you know uh, magical uh, topping. And the reality is that coming from a big company is not necessarily indicative of or predictive of success at a startup. In fact, it's inversely predictive. Success at a big company is very different than success at a startup or a small company for obvious reasons and some not so obvious reasons. Um, similarly, startup founders will say, I'm going to hire someone from a competitor. I if I can hire my competitor sales guys, uh, I'll be off to a running start. And again, your competitor may have a very different sales cycle, a very different mindset or culture, different compensation structure. Uh, and so again, someone that's predicted was successful at a competitor isn't necessarily going to be successful at your company. So these are just some of the mistakes that founders make. Right. Well, and, and also some of that is the ability to unlearn everything you've learned, right? Because in a Correct. startup culture, it's it's all new and flexible Absolutely. and changing and People that come out of corporate America are used to structure and hierarchy and all these different things. Certainly the older generation, of course, you're dealing a lot in the startup world with, you know, the younger generations and they have a different take on the way that that business should be organized and run and we don't want hierarchies and managers and all these other things. Correct. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a totally different animal. Uh, startups versus larger companies, and then each startup is different. It has a a precious and fragile culture and DNA 
and it doesn't take much to mess it up. And once it's messed up, it's really hard to recapture that magic. Right. Well, and, and you know, costly mistakes hurt the startup, right? Because one costly mistake can make or break the business. When you're in a large organization, a costly mistake might be, oh gosh, somebody gets reprimanded because, you know, whatever. But I mean, it's that, it's that um, critical. That's fragile. Fragile. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I, I describe it as uh, like having a, a newborn. And um, it requires immense care and feeding. It requires very delicate handling. It requires some structure and discipline. It requires a lot of love and some luck. And, you know, you get to a point where you're kind of out of the woods, you know, whether that's a year or two years, whatever it is. But so many things can go wrong in that first fragile days that entrepreneurs don't pay enough attention to. And so many of those issues are around people. Right. Every problem in business is a people problem, right? So, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. You have such a vast wealth of, of experience, and it's very cool that you're now, you've turned that around, you're helping a lot of other startups with your startup therapist, and I encourage people to go out and check out startuptherapist.com. You've got some great blogs, good video interviews, and... Of course, you're you're focused a lot on the people part of business. What is something you want to share with folks as they're thinking about their startup, how to avoid those costly hiring mistakes? I start with hiring slow and firing fast. That is such a cliche, uh, but as with most cliches, it's very true. As soon as you realize you've made a mistake, the odds of that person uh, becoming successful at your company are, are very low. And you don't have time to waste in a startup. Like you said, in a big company, you could give that person months or quarters or years, and maybe they'll turn it around. But at a small company, five people, 10 people, 50 people, every person has to be productive and successful in their roles. And so when you realize you've made a mistake, every day that you wait in parting ways with that person, as difficult as I know that is, uh, is a lost opportunity to fill that position with, you know, with a rock star. Uh, so firing fast is just as important as, as hiring slowly. Right. And and that was a lesson I learned because, trust me, if, if it's in your gut that this person isn't going to be able to hang around and be a part of your business, the longer you wait, the harder the harder it is, but all it did was cost you more money. The decision's going to yeah. be made. It just might be made too late, but it's still costing you, right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's crucial. Yeah. And it's and it's very it's the most expensive mistake in a startup. Yeah. I'm going to come back with Jeff Hyman, startup therapist, and we're going to talk about what venture capitalists are looking for in entrepreneurs. This is David Freeze. I'm an attorney with Unruh, Turner, Burke, and Freeze. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she provides so many powerful resources to me and to my clients, business people who are looking to protect and pass on their assets. Thank you, Sherry. Is it that time of year to make an appointment? 
Are you in the market for a mammogram? Instead of a mammogram, why not consider making an appointment for a thermogram? Thermograms are the modern, safe alternative to a mammogram. By mapping known thermal changes in the breast tissue that occur when disease is present, a very early detection can be noted and addressed. This breast screening method is totally safe at any age for any type or condition of the breast. And best of all, it is painless, does not involve any breast compression, no physical contact, and no radiation exposure. A certified medical trainer specialist can determine the abnormal changes in a woman's breast. Thermography is not a standalone examination. Along with your physician's direction, the proper secondary screening can be determined should the thermal image indicate a problem. For a free consultation on whether or not this is the right choice for you, call Thermal Imaging Consultants today, 356-0200. That's 356-0200. Or check them out on the web at thermogramexam.com. Hey, this is Jeff Hyman, your startup therapist based in Chicago, Illinois. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important because she really gets it. She understands what entrepreneurs need to do to build a successful business. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. For entrepreneurs looking to raise capital for their startup businesses, these early stage investors, angels, or venture capitalists can be awfully hard to find. And when you do find them, it's even tougher to get investment dollars out of them. But think again, angels and venture capitalists, VCs, are taking on serious risk. New ventures frequently have little or no sales, the founders may have only the faintest real life management experience, and the business plan may be based on nothing more than a concept or a simple prototype. There are good reasons why VCs are tight with their investment dollars. My guest, Jeff Hyman, started five companies, raised $55 million from venture capital investors, and recruited over 3,000 people. He serves as chairman of a venture-backed company, so being on the board of directors, he understands the dynamics between investor and founder. He is known as the Startup Therapist. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Sherry. Thank you for having me. I know you're hailing us from Chicago, so I appreciate that you're with me on the show. But one of the things that really attracted me to you was the fact that you kind of understand the language of VC. So what I'd like for you to share with us now is what do they look for in an entrepreneur? I've had... uh just great experiences and great fortune in working with VCs, venture capitalists, as well as angel investors. Uh, And I've had some mediocre experiences as well. Uh, Not every investor uh, is created equally. But in general, they're looking for the things you'd you'd expect and maybe some things that that you wouldn't expect. But I I think the biggest surprise is even before the particular business concept, they're looking at the team. They're looking at the founder or co-founders, and they're assessing whether those people are likely to, to be able to build an enterprise, build a company from scratch, which, as we've discussed, is not an easy thing to do. Uh, tenacity, drive, persistence, flexibility, resourcefulness. Of course, intelligence helps. Uh, network, uh, ability to attract resources, to raise more money in the future and hire great people. Um those things count for a lot more than even than the, the specific business idea. And I think what investors realize is that the business idea is likely to morph and change and evolve. 
And the only way that's going to happen to re- to react to the market and to customer needs is if the team makes it so. They spend a lot of time uh, looking at the team and understanding how they think and how they work together. Hiring the best possible team is is just a vital skill of entrepreneurs. Right. Well, I'm sure one of the things that you have experienced or seen is that most people that have created this idea or this vision of starting their business is they fall in love with their product. And so their whole presentation or premise to go out and attract funding is I have the greatest new widget on the planet. And as you just mentioned, that's not what VCs are looking for. A product is a product. What they want to know is is it going to make money. Correct. And so what entrepreneurs need to learn is to fall in love with your business. Don't fall in love with your specific product or service. Because like you said, Sherry, that product or service is likely to change and morph and evolve. You may have to scrap it entirely and start again. But loving your company, the people, the culture, the business opportunity, the problem you're trying to solve, the values that you instill, uh, those are things worth loving and uh, protecting, and I think investors really appreciate that. Right. I, I'm on the board for a local organization called Entrepreneurs' Assembly, and once a month, every Saturday, we go in and mentor a whole bunch of startups, and it's always fascinating to me when you're you know, sitting here listening to these people who are getting ready to enter into a business planning competition or to go down to the Bay Area, you're originally from San Francisco, so you know Silicon Valley and a lot of VCs there to pitch their product and all of that. Yeah. And the stuff they get hung up on, which you're like, none of that matters, right? But they don't, right. they don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs try, you know, they try to be a little crafty or a little too smart, and they try to design the business, the idea, uh, to to attract investment, to to get investors, which I don't really understand. It doesn't make sense to me. It would seem like you didn't build the business to build the business, and raising capital is just a tactic in in that plan. Designing a business for investors makes no sense to me, but a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, especially first timers, do that. They fail to remember that the vast majority of startups never successfully attract outside capital. So building a business that can actually function with no outside capital or minimal uh, is always the better bet. Right. Uh, and so to build it for investors, I just don't get it. Well, and, that, and that's funny you mentioned that because I, I read Entrepreneur Magazine, which literally it pisses me off every time I read it because it's all these young startups, a lot coming out of Silicon Valley. And literally this one article I read or a question that somebody presented to the mentors in Entrepreneur Magazine was, you know, we raised our first round, $50 million of seed capital. It's been a year or two, and it's time to give everybody raises. We haven't made any money yet. Should we go out and raise more money to give everyone a raise? And, I mean, I, I wanted to light that magazine on fire because, as you said, a lot of these companies – are starting for the investment dollars, not because of the business, and they don't know how to make a sale. They don't have a product to sell. I don't understand right. it. So you must see this. I see it every day. And like I said, I I, I just don't get it. Um, 
you know, I think <laughs> I, I, it may not be as easy as this, but I think that uh, Shark Tank, the popular ABC series, has democratized entrepreneurship, and people now see it as a, a neat and fun and potentially rewarding uh, way to go. And of course, big company life is, is no longer safe. You can easily be laid off from big companies. So a lot of people are pouring themselves into startups, but they maybe they just do it for the wrong reason and, um, and, and, and do it for investors and to raise outside capital instead of what used to work, which is figuring out a, an untapped market and need in the market, a gap in the market, which is what makes America great, that you can build a company from scratch to, to seize that market and fill that gap. Right. Well, and and a lot of it, too, speaking of, you know, Shark Tank and how that all evolves is I look at some of those companies that are presenting and they're already in revenue. They're already, you know, building the network and all of that. And so then you, you question, do you really need venture capital money? Do you need these outside yeah. investors who aren't going to do it for free? They want to bring in their own management team. They want to own 30 to 50 to 60 percent of your business. And so I sure. wonder if they're selling themselves short. Well, there are certainly some businesses, Sherry, that are very capital intensive. A hardware business is a good example. Uh, there's, there's a new startup I just read about that's going to take on Uber by uh, building a, a competing platform for taxi drivers uh, across the country. And obviously, that's not a small undertaking. If you're going to try to catch Uber, you're going to need some serious capital and Looks like they're they're raising a couple hundred million dollars in venture capital to do it, but again, these are the extraordinary examples. The path that you'd like to pursue, if you can, as an entrepreneur, is to maintain control of the business, raise as little outside capital as you can, and get to profitability. That's when the world really opens up in terms of possibilities to, you know, to raise money at a much higher valuation and to keep ownership of the business. Right. So they kind of get so they get the cart before the horse. Right. Well, and as you talk about, and you know, you're huge on the building the team and and really helping entrepreneurs become the leaders they need to become. But you yeah. know, as everything I've learned about you know what VCs or angel investors or any investor, even if it's Aunt Sally, they're interested in the individual. You are you cut out to be an entrepreneur? Based on all that you've seen, the money that you've raised, the the pitches, and all those things you've had to go through, I mean, those questions drill down to you, Jeff. Are you cut out to be the entrepreneur? Are you the one that can lead this team so that we're going to get our money back? That's right. And, you know, I, I, I haven't seen studies or know the percentages um, of you know, what percent are or are not cut out to be entrepreneurs. But in my uh, experience, 20 years or more of doing this, it's the minority. It's probably a small minority of people that really have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So what I tell people is, look, I don't, I'm not here to pee on your, on your parade. If you want to become an entrepreneur and run your own business, you know, God bless you. That's what makes America great. But recognize that if you're not if you don't have the skills to lead people and inspire people and aggregate resources and do all these things that a great entrepreneur has to do to build the business, then expand the team, bring in an outside CEO, bring in a co-founder, 
you know, you could be the idea person, you could be the finance person, you could be the operations person. You don't have to be the person running the business. And you might even be more happy and fulfilled because that's just not what you're cut out to do. It does mean setting your ego aside, which is not something that all entrepreneurs can do, but I've seen that movie many, many times play out successfully. All right. Well, I I use that in my own business here. I realized that the HR side of business was absolutely not my forte. And so I brought in a vice president who took over all of that for me. It was I had 24 employees at the time. And so it was fantastic because it relieved me of all of this dealing with people, the hiring side and, and all the drama that goes with most employees, positive drama or negative drama, doesn't matter. But the bottom line was I had to step aside because I was not doing my highest and best activities because I was over there doing something that, that didn't fit well for me. I didn't have the skill set or the knowledge or I didn't want to. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it's more than okay. It's the right thing to do. You know, the, the entrepreneur who's responsible for the well-being of the business needs to do whatever they need to do to make the business successful. And even if it means replacing themselves or backfilling themselves or stepping aside or bringing in outside expertise, that's, you know, that's what they need to do. On your site, startuptherapist.com, it's probably a blog, you talk a lot about the stress factor of the startup world. And what that was creating for me was a lot of stress and a lot of emotion and a lot of energy focused in an unproductive place. And so once I recognized all of that and made those changes, my world freed up and it was fantastic. <laughs> Great. I love it. I love I love to hear stories like that. Yeah. I'm going to pick up with Jeff Hyman, startup therapist, and go check out his website, startuptherapist.com. I'm Brian Cassidy, owner of Junk King Reno. We know you like a clean house and a clean yard, but sometimes things are too big, too heavy, or too much. That's when you should call us Junk King Reno. We're the professionals in the junk and rubbish removal business. Our team comes to your home to pick up what you need to dispose of. You don't need to gather and haul it to the curb. We recycle and donate everything possible before we visit a landfill. We're fully insured and bonded. Call Junk King Reno, 888-888-JUNK. Junk King Reno, locally owned and operated. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Is it that time of year to make an appointment? Are you in the market for a mammogram? Instead of a mammogram, why not consider making an appointment for a thermogram? Thermograms are the modern, safe alternative to a mammogram. By mapping known thermal changes in the breast tissue that occur when disease is present, a very early detection can be noted and addressed. This breast screening method is totally safe at any age for any type or condition of the breast. And best of all, it is painless, does not involve any breast compression, no physical contact, and no radiation exposure. A certified medical training 
brain specialist can determine the abnormal changes in a woman's breast. Thermography is not a standalone examination. Along with your physician's direction, the proper secondary screening can be determined should the thermal image indicate a problem. For a free consultation on whether or not this is the right choice for you, call Thermal Imaging Consultants today, 356-0200. That's 356-0200. Or check them out on the web at thermogramexam.com. Hello, this is Marnie Swedberg, your online mentor at Marnie.com. I'm on the Sherry Hill Show next weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 8 a.m. on 99.1 FM Talk. This will be an important show that you won't want to miss. My guest, Jeff Hyman, five-time entrepreneur, is startup therapist, a recognized expert in the people part of startups. He teaches entrepreneurs how to master recruiting, leadership, training, and communications. And Jeff, it's been fantastic. This show, we've been talking a lot about the people part of startups. And, you know, one of the questions that always comes up for me is, I think I mentioned it in the first segment, I'm the entrepreneur, I'm busy, lots of stuff going on. And all of a sudden, I realize that I need to hire somebody, but I don't have the skills or the ability to really understand what is the job description I'm trying to fill But even if I have some clue, then there comes that entire process called the interview. So let's talk about that because you really help people get rock stars in place in their business. And I want to know what you know about interviewing. Great. It's absolutely doable, even if you don't know much about how how to do it. But it does take some time and it, and it is a skill that you learn over time. Uh, you've got to start with the premise, in my experience, that there's really no bad hire. There's more. You don't really make bad hires, you make mishires. And by that I mean you hire someone that's not right for the position uh, or your specific startup, as we've discussed, uh, not a culture fit. Now, there are bad hires where you hire a bad egg, you know, someone that steals or embezzles. There are some bad hires, and you'll get rid of them. But in general, you're going to make a mishire. So the question then becomes, how do I interview candidates to reduce the odds or the likelihood of a mishire? You're never going to get it down to 0%, but anything you can do to reduce that, uh, that rate is time well spent. Yes. So it, 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 when it comes to this specific interview, Sherry, most interviewers, most managers and entrepreneurs really do a pretty poor job. And the reason I say that is they don't ask questions that are predictive of success in the role and in your specific startup. I'll give you an example. Many entrepreneurs will sit down and say, so tell me about yourself. Or they'll ask, well, what would you do if we did this? Or if you had to do this project, what would you do? Or what would you do in this situation? The problem with those kind of questions is is they are future-looking, they're forward-looking, they're hypothetical. And for the most part, studies have shown that they are not predictive of success. They don't really help you reduce the risk of a mishire because they don't really tell you anything. What is predictive of success, highly predictive, is looking at past performance and scrutinizing it in detail to understand not only what was the result, but how did the person approach it and make it happen. And if you can establish a pattern of success over time, it's more than likely the person is going to continue to be successful if they're in the right environment and and startup and culture, which is the other part of the equation. 
So when I meet with candidates, and I've interviewed thousands and thousands over the years, including running one of the biggest, uh, a division of one of the biggest search firms in the, in the U.S., um, one of the biggest things I look at is specific examples of their accomplishments. And I want to understand not just what, what was the accomplishment, but I want to drill into a substantial amount of detail to understand how did they uh, accomplish that feat or that task? What was the challenge? What was the role? Uh, what situation did they inherit? Was it a turnaround situation? Was it a new product that they had to put together? How did they approach it? Well, I want to understand what was their thinking? What obstacles did they face? What worked and didn't work? I want to understand the relationship with their manager. So I, I, when I talk about getting into detail, that's exactly what I mean. This is time consuming. It's not a half hour where we're talking about niceties and what do you think and here's our product and how would you sell it. Again, useless information. I want to understand time after time this person has come in to a challenging situation, perhaps in a startup, and I don't care what the industry was, what the product was, but they kick ass every time. If that's the case, when I can find that, again, it's highly likely, not guaranteed, but highly likely they'll be successful again. Uh, that can take time. Those interviews can take me two hours, sometimes more. Uh, but it's the best use of my time. It's the best time investment an entrepreneur can make. And if you can't carve out that time, you have no business hiring people for your startup. I feel very, very strongly about it. Well, how do you know, though? I mean, you know, because people like to elaborate or they like to, you know, make things, you know, perception, it's perception. So if you said to, you know, ask me a challenging question and how did I save the day? How do you know? Is it just because you've you've interviewed so many people in your gut? If they're telling the truth, if they're embellishing the story, or yeah. is it real? Yeah. So, well, I guess I'd say a couple things. First of all, sure, the more people you interview over time, it's a skill like anything else. You get more comfortable with your decision making. But the goal in taking subjectivity out of the equation and is to drill and drill and drill. It's not unlike, and, and it can be done respectfully, of course. Um, I tell the candidates exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I say, look, there's no trick questions here. I just want to understand the types of things you've done, and I want to understand them in a, in a great level of detail. Now, A players, rock stars, relish that opportunity to talk about their accomplishments. They love it, and they can. When you talk to B and C players and you drill into detail, they fall apart pretty fast. You know, the, the, the pattern, the, the answers don't quite line up and the numbers aren't quite there or if magically they can't remember the numbers or the metrics. That's where your, your bullshit detector goes off. And if you're still on the fence, of course, you check references in detail and we don't have time to cover that right now, but even that's outlined in the ebook uh, that you mentioned on, on the website. And I talk about how to check references in a way that's actually useful and confirms or denies what you heard in the interviews. So what most people do when they do reference checks is they really aren't looking for the truth. They're willing to settle for a platitude because they don't want to have to start the process again. One of the current trends is where, you know, you go into an interview and there's seven people behind a table, a panel interview. I'm not a big fan. I've heard of worse things, but I'm not a big fan because you get groupthink. And instead, I think what you want 
are different people that interview for different reasons and different questions. It's kind of a lost opportunity to have an hour of seven people's time, that's seven hours, asking a certain set of questions and hearing the same answers. I'd rather have seven people asking all different questions over seven hours. I get that much more information, presuming I only have seven hours to invest, and it'll reduce the risk of making a of having a mishire. It's kind of like like blackjack in Reno or Vegas. You want to turn over the cards and get more and more information, and by asking more questions and drilling into more detail, you can get those facts from the from the candidate. Jeff, on your your website, startuptherapist.com, you have a lot of blogs and you interview a lot of people. And so, you know, just with our audience, share, you know, some of the things that I could expect if I went out there. Yeah. So, well, Startup Therapist uh, is is a totally free resource for entrepreneurs. It's it's just a it's a great blog. I uh, typically interview three entrepreneurs uh, or venture capitalists every week. We talk about the people part of startups, so the exact kind of things that we're talking about now with interviewing and recruiting and retention and building a culture. Uh, And those things are, again, the biggest uh, failure points in startups, 65%. So that's what we focus on, and it's it's at startuptherapist.com. Awesome. Love the work that you're doing. Love that it's free. And there's a part. Yeah. Downloads and all kinds of stuff you can get to really help you because, really, you know, the message for today between Jeff and myself is if you're thinking about a startup or you're in a startup, whether as the owner or as the employee, it doesn't have to be so hard. It doesn't have to be all stress and drama and headache. Jeff, what would be your final words of wisdom? I, I agree. It doesn't have to uh, be those things, and it also doesn't have to be lonely. It can feel very isolating to be an entrepreneur, especially if you don't have a co-founder. In fact, our our tagline is "It's lonely at the top" because many entrepreneurs feel they can't have these discussions with their investors, their employees, even their spouse. We talk about these things all the time, and I think it's just comforting for entrepreneurs to know that you know that they're in good company. Absolutely. I really appreciate you being here today, and I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. So Likewise, I just, Sherry. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so great. Everybody, I hope you'll take up Jeff's special offer to go get all his free good stuff around the people part of business. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for The Sherry Hill Show.